0: everybody and welcome to WTS 204 oh My name's Danny Murray. I'm Graham American. How are you, Danny? I am doing fantastically well, all things considered, Graham American. how are you, sir? I'm good.
1: I'm a bit giddy because Gary has sent both of us a text message. What he's doing Just is downtime. He's doing a bit of interior design on an app called Design Home. And he's sending us his... Uh, his interior designs from an apartment in Tokyo. And what was the latest one from, Danny? Uh,
0: was, was this the Chicago one? Is oh, this,
1: was it this, he got a space from uh, Chicago. Uh, his, his, his task was from a, a chef in Chicago, was it?
0: Yeah, I think I believe so, yeah. Um, just having a look here now, just opened it again. Um, coastal Living Area, he's entitled it. And uh, he's, he's received a very good score there. Great job is the feedback he, he got on it. It does oh. look lovely. It looks lovely. I, I mean, if that was my living room, I'd be very happy. Wow. So, yeah, good man. And this is the thing, you see. People often think, people people struggle to separate the fact from fiction when it comes to Gary. They don't know whether he's being himself or whether he's being some sort of caricature. Or But we can, <laughs> we can tell you, what you see is what you get with Gary. And when he talks about the bringing the outside, inside, the culinary tips... The the love doctor tips the agony aunt all, all the things he talks about that's Gary lads there there, there, there is no fiction when it comes to Gary Mckell and he will be an inspirational leader of this country one day and I've no doubt about that.
1: Well, I just I just want to uh, tell our listeners that me and you got a message this morning on the WhatsApp group that we're in with Gary and mm-hmm. there was a picture and entitled. Uh, I downloaded an interior design. Oh, no, actually, it was just directed to you. Apologies. We Me and Gary must have been around. I, 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 <laughs> I downloaded an interior design game, Danny. Currently doing an apartment in Tokyo. It's a great game, and I'm really horny. And you said, that's an interesting one. Is it different levels? Like you have to complete a London flat within a, to- within a budget before moving on to Tokyo. And Gary responds, Great. Ca- quite <laughs> <laughs> Gary responds. Great question. It's based on levels. Yes. So the better the score you get, the more cash and diamonds you receive. Cash and diamonds then buy stock to furnish your properties. I'm in my element. It's very competitive. I'm, I'm paddling with it before I create my profile. I'm going it all in on this. There seems to be a built in judge, but you can down- upload designs onto a portal for all to see. I'll be doing the daily challenge today it's an outside space for a chef based in chicago this is a game changer
0: in terms of gaming for me guys (laughs)
1: um
0: yeah i mean
1: that's gary michael
0: that is and and as always we had a fantastic reaction to the episode with with gary last week and paul howard of course and um you see the the thing is right everybody uh, we always got a reaction that's that's basically you know can gary be on every week kind of thing and we'd yeah. love to have Gary on every week, but we can't we can't we just can't afford the legal fees. No. So um, so we, we like to, to spring Gary upon you in sort of regular enough um, bouts. But but don't worry. Th- there will always be a micro- microphone open for Gary McEl on this podcast. Absolutely. Um just don't, but, just don't but, tell but, him that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll have to edit that out. Um <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think um, we uh, this is the first time we've probably done two weeks in a row now in quite some time, Meryl. Yeah, I know. And, uh, we'll have
1: to take a break next
0: week. i tell you what, yeah. Um, but it's 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 another cracker as far as I'm concerned. And we've just finished recording with him and he's an absolute gent. Um, and here it is. Uh, delighted to welcome back one of our favourite guests we've ever had in this podcast. And a man who has gone on to bring out his own brilliant, brilliant podcast, Tree Castles and He's everybody's favourite historian and a man who knows more about Dublin than most people. The one and only <laughs> <Daniel> Fallon. <laughs> That's a great introduction. I wrote that historian.
2: introduction. I wrote that introduction myself.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> How are you, Donald? No, I didn't. I did. I, I'm doing good. Listen, listen to this sound. I love this sound. Yeah. You hear that? uh, That's a, what what that, is that? that? What beer that is that? That is a can of Fruitopolis. It's called from, from Rascals. Oh. Uh, brewery up the road In Inchicore So we'll give them A plug as well Why not What about the history Of beer in Ireland That would be a great one. Or, or the history Of the temperance movement The anti-beer lobby Since we're out of the pubs at the moment That might be good too What decade
1: <laughs> is that
2: But I've done one I've done one pub On the podcast so far uh, Obviously Grogan. enough it was, it was Grogan's Yeah but it'd be good To do one on the The, the temperance movement their, their slogan was Ireland sober Will be Ireland free uh, not, not, well, not inclined that's that's to agree With that myself But that's anyway. that's <laughs>
0: I'm not sure they were going down the right path with that one now. Um, yeah.
2: Was was the prohibition? Thing, was it was that part of a prohibition? It was. Yeah. It was a it was, They reckon that about a million people, maybe a million and a half people, took the pledge not to drink in Ireland in the the 1840s.
0: Yeah, I'd say only about 20 of them actually honoured the pledge. Well,
2: look, it was the time of the famine. You, you needed a drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's
0: true. Yeah. I'd say there was a lot of that. Do you know, do you know, like when lads are making, is it your, your compo, you take the pledge? Absolutely. There's yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, I promise not to. Uh, and then, like, you get out the door and straight away you're doing exactly what you
2: said you wouldn't. I'd say there was a lot of that going on. Well, I took it in school to 16. I took the pledge to 16. <laughs> I, <just thought laughs> I was very <pretty> honest. <laughs> was, there, was, there, was
1: there a religious background <laughs> to that movement,
2: though? Oh, yeah, yeah. Father Theobald Matthew. Uh, he's one of the statues on O'Connell Street. You know, if you, if you ask people to name all the statues on O'Connell Street, Mm. There's two they don't get. There's this guy Father Matthew. He's he used to be up by the cinema, but he's now right behind the spike, the spire. Oh, okay. Uh, John Gray, the guy who brought in the the clean water supply, everyone forgets him as well. They're the, the two forgotten lads on the street. Wow. Yeah. Well, many, many
1: statues that are
2: uh, on the Oh God, God no. There's no women anyway on you, which is mad even now, you know. Is the fluzy in Jacuzzi? She's well, gone. She's it. gone. Yeah, they bumped her up to uh, up to the top of the lifty, She's up by Houston Station.
0: Ah, oh, you haven't been in the city centre. The are in the sewer. Year. The are the in, the in the sewer. <laughs> <laughs> the in the
2: sewer. <laughs> it's good to be back, lads. This podcast yeah. was a, a big influence for me anyway, trying to set up my own. So it's a, a very different format from yours, but it's it's always nice to be back on.
0: No, I, I love yours, man. And, and what was particularly enjoyable about yours is you, you do exactly what we don't do in terms of you keep it to a tight time and you make it actually listenable for people. Where <laughs> we're, we're rambling. Three days later, people are like, are they still fucking talking about space voice, <laughs> <back?" Where laughs> you're like,
2: That's it. 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, out. Lads. You got your 28 minutes. I'm out of
0: here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. so, so, so while we're on the top, with Three Castles Born and Man, tell us a bit about it. Or if, people, are, if people are living under rocks and they're not, you're in quarantine now, lads. Here's something to listen to.
2: Yeah, but it's a good time for podcasts, isn't it? It's, uh, it's a good time for Netflix as well. That seems to be about it. It's a, it's a pretty shy time for everyone else. But I suppose people have a lot of time to be trying out new uh, mediums. And Tree Castle's Burn, and the, the, the name of it is from the City Coat of Arms. Uh, great City Coat of Arms, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, the motto of Dublin has always annoyed me because I think it's stupid. The motto of Dublin is, happy is the city where citizens are obedient which is very out of sync with Dublin history, to be honest. But the, the symbolism of the tree burning castles, I just think, is great. And everyone wears it. I mean, in, in the League of Ireland, it's on Shelburne jerseys. Bows wear it, the Dubs wear it, and the GAA or variation of it. And uh, I just think it's this great symbol of, of Dublin. And once someone tells you about it, you see it absolutely everywhere. You know, it's on the lampposts, it's uh, on the street corners. It's absolutely everywhere. So. For me, the, those three burning castles is the like, immortal symbol of, of Dublin, and, and for that reason, I, uh, I took it as took it as the title. Who came and up with the motto? That motto motto you mentioned. Who came up with the motto? Oh, that goes way back. And as far as the city coat of arms is concerned, they don't even know if it's three burning castles, if it's three gates into Dublin, are they three different ones? Or you know, there's this mystical symbolism with the number three. So there's more questions than answers really around the, the city motto and coat of arms. But people are trying to change the motto in recent years. Some of the councillors are like, ah, it doesn't fit. We should get rid of it. But whatever about the motto for me, the the castles is just the it's a great symbol of Dublin, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think you're right.
0: I, I think even from when I was a kid, you can I can remember that kind of like like you're saying, it's on lampposts. It's it's everywhere. Oh, it's everywhere. It's uh it's one of those kind of it's almost a kind of comfort So you, as you get older. Do you know what I mean? You, um, but but in terms of the, the podcast, free
2: castles was and. It's going, you're going a year now, is it? Or just I've got, I'm only going since last winter, so I'm still a new so kid on the block. So yeah. I'm a new kid on the block, but uh, some city in America, someone emailed me recently and said, yeah, your city motto is not great, but my city motto is, it's not for everyone. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yeah>. Small, small <laughs> place in America, hey, it's not for everyone. So, B- a bit like <laughs> That's
0: it,
2: yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, happy as the city where citizens of A. I don't know if that'll last for too much longer, but anyway
0: yeah yeah and then like so what sort of topics have you covered often? then if, if these are kind of fresh out of the box so, so to speak
2: i always describe myself as a social uh, historian so i'm interested in the ordinary lives of people the everyday lives of people so not the big picture but you know the day-to-day life in the city through the ages so like when i sketch out what i'm going to do episodes on some of it like will appeal to certain people so keep rovers at milltown is one that Merrill loves that's something that that's a great story that has to be told um, stuff like you know the asylum Night Club in the early 1990s, uh, you know gang violence in 18th century Dublin. I did one on Willie Birmingham and alone. Just trying to keep yeah. the topics different. So maybe some weeks someone will go, I'm not into that, but they might come back to it the following week. You know that mm. the point you want to make is that history it's in all of our lives, whether we know it or not. Whatever you're into, from League of Ireland football to dance culture to geography, you know, history has shaped all of those things. And history shapes our own lives. I mean, the reason we follow the football clubs we follow is because our parents followed them, our grandparents followed them. The reasons we take so much pride in where we live is because our families live there. We're all shaped by history, whether whether we like it or not. Definitely, man,
0: definitely. And I think uh, the the Rovers one, as much as it pains me to say, is uh, <laughs> is definitely a story worth telling. But I, well, I, will, I will note that you mentioned there are a lot of Dublin clubs who have the three castles born in symbolism, but one that doesn't. <clears throat> Merrill, <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it's because you're a bunch of bousies that would travel. Yeah, a yeah, of yeah. You I mean, you a bind,
2: yeah. You go anywhere, <laughs> but, man. Uh, I think I'm going to get this. Uh, there's a very famous uh, Sean Rovers fan, Merrill, known him called Jason Maloney. Uh, I might get Maloney onto the, onto the... Yeah, he's good. He, he's a good uh, rambler. You know, you never know what it's. He's, his
1: his his Facebook <laughs> posts are oh, yeah. absolutely sensational. I keep I keep begging him almost to write a book or write some sort of uh, an account. And now, though he has kept kind of yeah. post-match diaries and stuff. But his way with his way with words is a lot
2: similar to yours as well. I think. And there's the brilliant Owen Rice as well. I might try to get him onto yeah. it. So there's a lot of people there that, that you could get on. But it's uh, you can out- you can also
1: get um, the keeper of the uh, Milltown movement. Um, Con Murphy broadcaster, his father was a huge part of that movement. So you could get a conversation with Con about it as well.
2: That'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah. But it's it's it's. it's I suppose the aim is that the topics are all so different. You never do the same thing two weeks in a row, and uh, you hope people go, I oh, fucking I'll trust it. I'll go along with it this week, and I'll give it a listen anyway. So it's yeah. uh, it's a new journey for me. You know, all I use is like a, a, a Zoom recorder, like a Zoom two recorder. Yeah. And I'm on a crappy Chromebook, but it, you learn as you go, you know. And, and that's that's how I'm sure you can say that too with your podcast is, mm-hmm. as you do it longer, it gets that bit better and better. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: uh, yeah, we're going uh, four uh, years now, For we're as bad as we were in the early days,
2: <laughs> but it's five years, it's, really, it's a f- fucking five years. Yes. Fuck. Oh. It's at the minute, it's so weird because. You like your. I like my uh, global pandemics in the past, you know. So when you're, a, when, you're a, when you're a historian, it's really uncomfortable to be living through such a moment of, of enormous history, which which we are. So we all have to kind of think on our think on our feet. So I, I move the podcast from me every two weeks, every week, and uh, it's just yeah, it's just a surreal time to try and operate in, isn't it?
1: And you've you've had you've had to uh, tie back a bit with come Here to me.
2: Yeah, I, just, I think blogs kind of was on the decline and has been on the decline for a long time. I, the rise of podcasts as a medium is just like mad, isn't it? It's kind of a couple of years ago, there were maybe, what, five or six Irish podcasts, if, if even. Um, the Irish History podcast, Blind Boy was pretty early out as well. But like it, it, as an industry, it's just gone boom. And it, like every Tom, Dick and Harry and Dog in the Street seems to have one now. So that makes it even harder, I think, because there's so many of them that to, to grab anyone's attention is, is kind of hard. Well, that's, but, yeah. Yeah. Like like for
0: us, I, I remember in the when, we, when we first started, kinda, I'd say we were kind of just before the middle of the wave kind of thing. And for us, like I remember at one stage, I tried to get like really heavy into the stats to try and get behind some of the numbers and go like, how is this doing kind of thing? And I remember getting into back and forth emails and being told that there were a total of, at the time, say 250,000 podcasts on Apple Podcast or iTunes or whatever, and I was like, Right, that's that's 250,000 around the world. That's right, okay. So, if we're doing this and we're doing, but since then, you're up to nearly 2 million.
2: I think there's 250,000 250, podcasts in Crumbling at this stage, you know? mean? <laughs> <laughs> <Brilliant. laughs> the, the guy in a, the guy at Super Value has a blog about working in Super Value, but no, not a podcast. Just, it just you seems that like they're, they're yeah. everywhere, you know? They're everywhere, but it, it keeps on your toes. And then when one of the big dogs comes along, something like David McWilliams just goes, boom, you know, and suddenly that's the biggest podcast in Ireland. So it's a, yeah, yeah, it's a funny album, but it's, it's so much more democratic than, than the radio in, in, in a sense, you know, in that anyone can do one. You can do it on your mobile phone if you want, and you can yeah. ramble about whatever for 10 minutes and pull up online and call it a podcast. So, you know, if people like it, it'll stick around. That's the, that's the, that, the, and the, the, the great
0: the, the beauty of it is for, for anyone, because, I mean, like, I think a lot of people would hold or would have held aspirations of, oh, I'd love to have a radio show one day, and maybe they get involved in community radio, whenever they just, they, they probably don't even do that because they just think, ah, no. But now, like, th- there's, there's blokes I know on podcasts and they get about six people who listen, and they love that. Yeah. Because they, they know... Four of them that listen, in, but the two who they don't know, they get a real buzz out of that. You know, they're like, who are, they? "Who are they?" And I'm like, "Look, that's the beauty of it, man." And like six people keep them going, you know, and that's it. So long as you're enjoying it, who cares,
2: like? But when you go through iTunes now, the front page of iTunes, it tells you like, top shows, top you know, top episodes, whatever. But one of the sections that they have now is um, COVID-19 coronavirus. So there's already like a an offspring of uh, COVID-19 podcasts out there. Exactly, I mean, in the and in a world, bit to is... capital, on that. Let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's
0: Yeah, exactly. Segway Central. So, uh, uh, look, the the Spanish flu has been talked about uh, in terms of a comparison and in terms of the last great pandemic, the strike and that kind of thing. Um, And I I was reading last week, and part of the reason that I I suggested the topic tomorrow um, was the the National Museum um, had a... An exhibition, or whatever you want to call it, your brain just had a brain fart there about (laughs) kind of the the Ireland and the Spanish flu. I think Mm. it was last year, and I was reading bits of it. And so, and like you said, you're a social historian, and I got heard stuff about the Spanish flu. But when you start to hear about the people, and you start to hear about the lives that it affected in Ireland, just brings that degree closer.
2: Well, the first thing about the Spanish flu that I think is interesting is the fact that we call it the Spanish flu because it didn't begin in Spain. Uh, Spain was one of the only countries in, in Europe that wasn't involved in, in the First World War. They were neutral. So when this mad flu, just like the, the current flu, was making its way across the world, the journalists in, in England, in, in Germany, in America, all these wartime countries were told oh, we're not reporting on this because when you're at war, you try and keep public morale pretty high. So there's no war in Spain. So the Spanish media write about this flu freely. And that kind of gave the wrong impression in the world that Spain was disproportionately uh, affected. So it either began in France or it began in Kansas in America. It's kind of a good argument for, for both of those theories, but it didn't begin in Spain. So I kind of feel bad for poor old Spain, you know, that it's hmm. become known as the Spanish flu when they didn't have any hand or part in its, in its origin. But it's really interesting that Trump on the news in, in recent weeks, Trump's getting a lot of a lot of shit in America for calling it the, the Chinese flu. He keeps calling it the Wuhan flu, the Chinese flu. So, you know, we don't do that anymore. We don't, you don't uh, try and pin it on one particular group mm. of people. So uh, you wouldn't get away with calling. I think if it happened now, the Spanish flu would, would be, would be known by a different name entirely, just like COVID, COVID-19. But yeah. it, uh, I mean, the numbers are absolutely mad. They reckon that 500 million people got it. And to put that in, I mean, the world's grown a lot since then. So to put it in context, about a quarter of the world's population uh, got that flu and what was so strange about it but they couldn't really figure out was normally and this seems to be true with COVID-19 the most at risk people to an influenza are the very young and the very old but the Spanish flu so-called seemed to be wiping out kind of middle aged and quite healthy people so all the newspapers at the time were full of like athletes well-known football players and, and the like that were that were dropping dead of this thing which was really really odd but it was a different time you know like Things that we all go, yeah, that's true now, like the, the stuff about washing your hands, the stuff about mm-hmm. kind of contagion, how disease spreads. Some of that stuff was kind of controversial in, in the, the late 19th, early 20th century. Uh, Oscar Wilde's dad, William Wilde, he was a, a doctor and a, and a surgeon, he wrote about contagion and said, look, there's a reason that diseases run muck in packed tenements and they don't run muck in middle class suburbia. And it's because of the density of people. And people being in contact with with each other. So nowadays we we, we acknowledge all this stuff. This, it's like the science of sickness, you know, and we know all about it and we know how it spreads. So we're we're a lot better equipped, probably, or definitely, in 2020 than than they were in 1918. But like every flu is different, every influenza is different. But there's comparisons that are amazing. Like the, the All Ireland final for 1918 was played in 1919 mm-hmm. because just they just couldn't do it, you know. Uh, cinemas closed down. Yeah, theaters closed. Down. Everything just came to a total halt. And uh, public transport was basically stopped. And if you look at the newspapers at the time, they're all advertising bicycles. Yeah. Because the, the belief was that you were a lot safer out there. You weren't coming into close contact with so many people. And I see that before the, the shutdown happened. I noticed, because the buses go right by my window, that there was less and less people on the buses, even in like the first week of March. And just a constant stream of people walking into town and people on bikes. So some things have kind of stayed the same, you know, in the in the 102 years uh, since it happened. But it's it's an amazing story. I mean, a quarter of the world's population being infected by something. And it killed more people in Ireland than the rising, the war of independence, and the civil war put together, which is just mm. absolutely amazing. Yeah. And how long like, tw- did how tw- long
1: did, did the lockdowns and all well, so
2: last? Th- the problem with the, the 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 Spanish flu or the influenza was that it came in, in three waves. So in total 20,057 people lost their lives, which is which is massive. But the first time it came here was on a, there was a US naval ship, the USS Dixie, which arrives in Queenstown, Cove to us, in kind of May 1918. And, and by the end of June, the thing had reached just Derry, Belfast, Tipperary, Balmaslow. It got all over the place. But the problem, and I think this is sadly going to happen here, where, you know, everyone, including me, is like, oh, Jesus, bring the pubs back or bring this back or bring life back. And if you rush into normality too quickly, The negative impact of that is enormous. And it happened in 1918 that they got three waves of it, you know, because they Mm. didn't take the right precautions for for long enough. But, like, we had a political revolution in the middle of this. (laughs) There was the 1918 election. There was the rise of Sinn Féin, the the War of Independence in 1919. I don't remember the Spanish flu being in any of our school books. No, neither do I. This thing that killed more people than the revolution that was happening at the same time just didn't feature in our in our lives at all. And it, it puts a whole new slant for me uh, on the revolution. Like when, when people went to vote in 1980, in the general election, there was a highly contagious flu running amok, you know, in the country. There were Sinn Féin IRA prisoners dying in prison off the Spanish flu. Like it must have been a, a really big part of people's lives and how they thought about the world. And yet I hadn't really heard of it, to be honest with you, until around 2017 and 2018, when the St. Henry, of it was, was, was coming up, but yeah. there's a great a great historian, a woman called Eda Milner, who wrote a book about it, and the name is the name is great. The book is called uh, Stacking the Coffins, which is exactly what they did. I mean, they were buried at 45 people a day, funerals in Glasnevin, which is just mad. But her book is great, just on day-to-day life, you know, and how you couldn't... Like, they used to power hose the streets with disinfectants. And they seem to be doing that in some places in the world. We're not doing it, but...
1: Yeah, like, why are we doing it? I noticed that, that we weren't doing it.
2: It's weird, isn't it? It's one of those yeah. debates, like the face mask thing is being debated and different countries in different ways but she just wrote about day-to-day life and every businessman every shady businessman was trying to like sell a cure to it in the newspapers and every pharmacy and soup companies everyone said oh my product cures this thing so it's a it's a great kind of really really entertaining readable kind of history Mm -hmm. of the the flu eda milner's book
0: yeah, I, th- I think it's gas. I was looking at some of that actually. Uh, and I, like some of the, the so called cures or some of the so called things that will protect you from influenza. You know, whiskey was getting touted left, right, and centre. Enough. <laughs> uh, snuff. There were different brands of snuff. Claiming yeah. a, a good a good dollop in each each nostril and each orifice or whatever will will absolutely set you right, and protect I, you against influenza. I still
2: advocate. I still advocate a, a bottle of whiskey won't do you any harm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might do you any good, but won't do you any harm either.
0: Yeah, well, this is it, you know. Well, um, yeah. And then and then the other, of course, was the the good old just pray it away method that the bishops were were all in favor of, you know. And like when you look at it, and like we we're saying there, with the whole three waves thing, um. I don't know if if, if this was just a, a kind of theory that was put forward, but World War One ending in November 1918, and people going out and celebrating the end of the war, played a party, and the, the, the death toll spikes a couple yeah. of weeks after that as a result of people going out, going that this war that started four years earlier that everyone be home by Christmas kind of thing. Yeah, and
2: ends and then that's another thing that's similar. It's the move like the movement of people after the war you know you're moving hundreds of thousands of men from the trenches and that brings its own risk the other disease that went through the roof uh was a uh, sexually transmitted disease because these fellas came back from four <laughs> years at a trench in france or, or or belgium and the first place they were going in dublin was the monto so there's all kinds of health <laughs> implications serious? yeah like th- that went through the roof uh what, what do they call it the uh, venereal venereal disease rates went yeah. through the roof with all these guys coming home so like there's Whatever something massive like that happens, the movement of people, it has these kind of knock-on effects. And this disease is linked to the, to the movement of people, too, in its, in its own way. I mean, some people say, oh, we should have shut the, the airport straight away, or, you know, we shouldn't have let the Italian rugby fans. There's the debates to be had around all of that stuff. But it's the movement of people, ultimately, that uh, that leads to the spread of any kind of infectious disease.
0: Yeah, that's it. And you kind of, you said it at the start around when you were talking about um, Oscar Wilde's dad and that and talking about kind of, you know the density of the population. One of the great lines I've seen over the last couple of weeks is there's two things that contribute to the spread of this: how dense the population is, and how dense the population.
2: Well, you know the real, the really the the if someone's archiving and some, if someone's trying to tell the story of this in the future, uh, there's some things I've seen around Ireland that I think are just ingenious. Like there's a pub in Belfast called the Hatfield, mm. and they've they've uh, oh, kitted yeah. out one of their delivery trucks that they can put a keg of Guinness in it, and they can pour a pint of Guinness outside your house, which is brilliant. Like that's an absolutely brilliant piece of innovation, you know, Uh, that whoever came up with that could be winning a Nobel Prize in the future, (laughs) if they apply it. There has to be something like that in Dublin, surely. Well, I know that they're doing pints over in uh, Hanlon's Corner. Mm. And they're delivering them But they're poured in handling So I don't yeah. know what they'd look like By the time they made it to Kimmage You know But uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Do you want to pull up outside my house And pour a pint in front of me i definitely drink it It's a brilliant Brilliant yeah, I've, idea
0: I've definitely seen a few people All right Posting Twitters Or Twitters Posting on Twitter Of a perfectly poured point Apparently from the pub Which is you know 500 metres down the road Or whatever
2: Yeah well yeah. I mean the, the licensing laws allow it You know
0: Mm. well that's Uh, it yeah there's little loopholes here and there that people
2: are clever you know Um, that's it that's it but i think those kind of stories will be will be remembered or the distilleries who started producing hand sanitizer and that was really really clever because when this is all over that's the gin you're gonna buy next isn't it absolutely people will people will remember all that kind of stuff so for the historians now trying to look at it all these things are i found myself snapping you know you walk into a public park and it says this is two meters on the yeah. ground now and all that kind of stuff is mad people 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 won't believe the stories we tell them in in 50 years oh. about the the mad yeah. rush for bog roll or any of these
1: things <laughs> I, I, I hope you remember as well the actions of uh, the Witherspoons owners and and we stopped going to Witherspoons well, yeah works. this
0: is it yeah there's a lot to be said for that around like and, and yeah well I mean that shower that shits in Witherspoons is one thing but I mean when you look at how responsible and how quickly the kind of the what I would call the good pubs acted under, its, well, not even instruction, but just under the fact, right? Other things are shutting down. It's mm. clear. It's clear we need to act. Now there was a couple of the kind of tourist traps who decided, fuck this, we'll get another weekend of the profit in. Like, mm. what, I, I say to people, try and remember the, the the good kind of mom and pop pubs. Yeah,
2: yeah, well, I mean, it was what was a forty-eight hours before St Patrick's Day that the clubs, the yeah. pubs formally like that's mad. that's historic in itself that that happened yeah, it's absolutely amazing yeah. but yeah I, I like it, it, I think it was kind of a bit of momentum it was grogans and then pader browns which is a really good mm. good shop in its own way and a few others that kind of went off their own volition before they were told to do it which was totally the right thing to do absolutely their, yeah. their busiest their busiest week it was a it was a, Brave decision to make. I mean, Guinness doesn't exactly sit around for long either, you know. What I'm oh, yeah, exactly. Fair. Yeah. And how many how many kegs were sitting in those pubs th- days before Patrick's Day? It's probably like it's. oh yeah, it's highly really happy. It art, definitely
1: it, all it, came in before. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, it's a heartbreaking talk for a Republican it's, to. It's, it's that crazy.
1: Down the
0: like it's it's actually like when you look at it, I mean like McDonald's the, the the absolute symbol of capitalism around the world, and they were like, Nah, we're pulling back, lads. I mean, no Big <laughs> Macs ride for a long time, you know. Burger I got a push notification there from just <laughs> did I? telling me that the Burger King around my way is delivering <laughs> it was like that's it thank you dinner for the next week <laughs> I got
1: a notification on Instagram uh when I was going through Insta stories and it said oh we're don't worry we're still open I
2: was like, what? <laughs> one of the well I suppose one of the big uh obvious differences between now and, and that major influenza turn of the century was that uh We're able to keep ourselves entertained, you know, in ways that people couldn't back then. Like when when The Rising happened, the Irish Times ran this great editorial and it said, uh, how many of you have ever read the works of Shakespeare? Well, now is the time to do it because you can't go outside your house. But that involved you having the works of Shakespeare at home, you know, or you you couldn't do it. Whereas now we just were surrounded by culture, technology. So, like, you've been able to watch people like Damien Dempsey in your living room which I think is brilliant, you know, without yeah. stepping out. Colin McAnimra who's a great musician. Colin was in the frames back in the day, and he's a great fiddle player. He was the first one. I saw he did a gig in his living room maybe two days into the lockdown. I was watching that, and we were watching it here, and Sarah, and the viewers were going up and up and up and up and up. And I said, right, this is going to be a thing now, that we're going to see this every couple of nights from different artists. I think that's been really good. That's really built yeah. uh, the, the feeling that you're you're not really alone. You know, there's this stuff going on, which I think is great. Absolutely yeah. great. But when you they, see you,
1: people like that, uh, kind of that we're all in the same ship, do you know what I mean? We're well, all you'll you'll
2: same... have to use your your influence to get Christy to do one. I see him there oh, behind you. I tried. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be great, <laughs> wouldn't
1: it? He was on Tuberty last Friday and he was talking about cocooning and um, himself and his wife and how how he, he's just getting on with it and gigs are being cancelled. Um well it's it's just it's just mad.
2: Yeah, I think he was really good I don't know if you saw the documentary on T.G. Car During the week about Liam O'Flynn, the piper in uh, Planksteen Yeah, I saw it before, yeah Christy was, Christie was so brilliant in it, you know And uh, It's just such an incredible story But it, it, it's it's the national treasures like that Who I hope we get to see in our in our living rooms
1: Christy uh, would in be a great uh, topic for Tree Castles Born He thing.
2: would, yeah To talk about his memories of Dublin at different times And the venues in Dublin yeah. uh, I, I just think he's a brilliant storyteller, you know and, and that really came across in the interview we did uh with you lads, and his book is very rare now, One Voice, where he talks about the the, the, the origin and the, the stories behind a lot of the big, big songs, but just an, an incredible walking encyclopedia, you know, of, of, of 20th century Irish history, just an incredible, incredible mind. Of course, his, his song, uh,
1: Danny's one of Danny's favourite songs, Viva la Quinta that I, was I love that song. Yeah. yeah,
2: And a good friend, very good friend of mine, Luca Reardon, yeah, I think one of the first times Christie sang that song, if not the first time, was at the birthday of his his dad, uh, his granddad, sorry, Mick O'Riordan, Michael O'Reardon, who survived the war in Spain and, and kind of came back to Ireland. And uh, he ran for a local election and the slogan was, uh, don't vote for the, the Red O'Reardon." that was painted on the walls. Around really? Him. I think the priest said something like, if you voted for him, you're a, you're a, a sinner. And Brendan Behan saw him walking on the street one day and said, how many sinners did you get in the end, Mick? You know, he, he didn't get elected. <laughs> but the, La Quinta Brigada, the Viva La, La Queen's Brigada, to get it right. The song is about the lads who died, you know, so it rattles mm-hmm. off those great names. Um, Charlie Donnelly, young poet from uh, Tyrone. He's the one who said, even the olives are bleeding, which is yeah. beautiful. I mean, imagine only, only a young poet could write something like that in the middle of a battlefield, even or say something like that in the middle of a battlefield. But the ones that came back I find just as interesting and they're the ones that aren't mentioned in the the song. It must have been so weird to come back from fighting fascism in the trenches of Spain to uh, Holy Ireland, you know, in the aftermath of it. it was absolutely why, incredible. Why, why was there so much um, hatred towards uh, Red Reardon? I suppose just the the very, I mean, one thing people forget is there's a great moment if you ever see Christie in a in a more boisterous venue than in Dublin. So if you ever see him in, in the Barrowlands in Glasgow, which is this. Have you ever been to Barrett? It's a mad place. Like yeah, mm. The floor feels like it's going to collapse underneath you. It's an old-school uh, ballroom that's become a, a concert venue. And uh, when he met, when he says, you know, the bishops bless the blue shirts in Dundee, the crowd all boo, go, boo, you know, fuck mm. the blue shirts, they're the bad guys, everyone else they're the bad guys. But back then, the, the blue shirts were four or five times, maybe ten times bigger than the IRA were. You know, the, the public feeling... In Ireland in the 1930s would have been on the other side, and Franco would have been regarded in Ireland as like the someone that was fighting for Catholicism against kind of godless atheism. So they they say that history is written by the victors. Everyone knows that old line, or oh, the winners write the write the history. But I mean, the losers write the songs, which is very true in a, in an Irish context especially. So I like that song even more because those lads went off very much as uh, I suppose they would have been sidelined, marginalised, considered. Uh, communists, you know, in the gutter. And today, they're the ones whose names we know and it's the blue shirts. Who are, I mean, I can't think of a single monument. There's one monument in the pro-cathedrals. You know the way you can dedicate a bench in a church to someone? Yeah. One of the benches says, you know, in memory of so-and-so who went to Spain to defend Christianity against communism. And that's the only monument I've ever seen anywhere in the country to a, to a blue shirt. And by oh. comparison, the, the other lads, the international brigades, they're everywhere. There's a monument on one of the islands off the coast of Galway to a local guy who went off and joined the international brigades. Like, you can... I can think of seven or eight of them in Dublin around people's houses. They're, they're very, very remembered, and they're remembered very proudly, and it's the blue shirts that have been forgotten. It's... Um,
0: Ireland, particularly, and it's it's definitely an international thing. There's there's, there's great sort of storytellers through song around the world, but Ireland has this wonderful kind of tradition with music of being able to tell great stories, you know? And, and Viva La Quinta is one of those. But, yeah. like... There's just so many, and even there, like you were mentioning, like the Barrowlands, and it's this big ballroom, and straight away, it's not a classic by any means, it's probably one of u two's least known songs, but you 2 have a song called The Crystal Ballroom, about that great yeah. Dublin venue, you know, there's just so many little tidbits like that, dotted throughout kind of Irish music history. You
2: see, we're very good at writing songs, but we're very good at keeping them, and collecting <laughs> them. So there's, um one of the early episodes of my podcast was about a guy called um, Seamus, en- Seamus Ennis, who was known as uh, On Far Keol, and he was a great piper, really good piper, but his real love was, uh, he worked for the Folklore Commission, and he had a pen, uh, a pushbike, and off he went around the country, paper, pen, and pushbike, and he recorded stories from people, he recorded songs, he recorded tunes, so uh, songs in Ireland can they can have these incredible lives, and some of the songs even that Christie sings, like The Well Below the Valley, and these kind of songs, mm. like they, they have such deep, long histories, and <clears throat> Lancome, I think, have done a great job of that uh, as well. Lancome are a fantastic band, absolutely fantastic band. They might sing a song like Cold All Fire, which they wrote themselves about kind of the, the Great Recession of 2008. But they can also like pull a song out that might be 300 years old, which I think is incredible. Yeah. So, yeah, th- that's just a real Irish oral tradition that we have. And there's a place not many people know, but there's a, a place, the Irish Traditional Music Archive, you can go in and you, you can look at these things. And the National Folklore Collection and UCD, you know, you could go out and say, I'm looking for songs about what, infanticide in Wicklow in the 1610s. And they go, yeah, here's one. <laughs> you know, whatever, Jesus. whatever you want. They'll find something for you on that. Um, I did a recent podcast on, on Jewish Dublin. Yeah, yeah like the yeah, songs, the songs that mention like the Jewman moneylenders, you know, and like there's everything is there in that kind of rich. You you, you, of, you played you played some audio from it. As yeah, well. it's great. The Waxy yeah, Stargle, the Pogue yeah, said a really yeah, good version of it. I went down to Capel Street to the Jewman moneylender, but like every story you could want is there in that rich collection that we have uh, in this country. It's it's absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing.
0: The, all, you, 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 yeah. No, go on, go on, go on, go on. Come back to it. No, I you, just, you're still getting
2: used to this thing of kind of <laughs> talking. Yeah, we've yeah. been yeah. we've been doing Skype ones for about three years. <laughs> Even
0: when we're in the same room, we talk over each other. We're, we're, we're like an old couple now. <laughs> that, that's the
1: beauty of the rawness of the podcast. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> it's not
1: yeah. like oh, can I speak? Oh, cue me. Um, I I was just going to change the topic, Danny. If, but if you wanted to keep going. Or
0: well, if you wanted gonna be, well, I was just going to keep rolling with the punches a little bit on the music piece, just because I noticed earlier yeah, go on. For it's a slightly different wave on the music piece, but I noticed earlier on that Donald's beautiful Twitter uh, picture at the moment is him holding Scream a Delicate. Oh, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. What an what, amazing. Is that yeah. in tribute to that, uh, Wedderall? Andrew Wetherall. Andrew Wetherall, yeah. What a great. I, I, I saw Andrew Wetherall oh, many, many times, but uh, probably the best time I saw him was uh, in Belfast a couple of years ago with David Holmes, another great DJ. Who uh, ran a night called God's Waiting Room? What a great name for a club night! And he brought Weatherall over. And what really struck me about and- Andrew Weatherall every time you saw him was that the sets were totally different. And if you listen to his output, the stuff that he made himself and the stuff that he produced, the diversity of his outputs absolutely, absolutely incredible. So, like for me, I just think he was one of the, one of the, the best DJs of the second half of the 20th, uh, of just, of the 20th century into the 21st. And so much of his his output from like the Boys Own Records, not Boys On the Band, by the way, that's Boys mm. Own. Too. <laughs> Imagine he produced the Boys On Records. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've been
0: talking <laughs> about him.
2: <laughs> but they, yeah. I saw. Don't be saying uh, bad things about Boys Own, you, right? <laughs> Sorry. I saw that he, they they just released the last Andrew Wetterall uh, 12-inch record there last week. I think Lobster Records in England. He was still making stuff right up to the time he died. It was such a, a sudden a sudden departure, but he was a brilliant. Uh, versatile DJ, you know, and he, he could play anywhere. He could play a, a bar in Dublin, or he could play Bergheim in Berlin, and he'd always give the crowd what they what they wanted. But I think that record, Scream of Delica, is perfect from from start to finish, and even, every everything about it, the cover of it, the everything, come together. It's it's a perfect yeah. record. It, there's a reason that it appealed to the to the dance music kids, to the to the indie kids. Everyone, I think, found what they wanted in that primal scream record, and I wouldn't be particularly mad on. Most of Primal Scream's output, I, they never, re- I never really connected with Primal Scream as a band, but I, I just think that record is perfect. Scream and there, yeah. there's M- M-
1: Moving um, on up
2: is, is just such a great ah, intro track. Like, ah, it's yeah, just,
1: brilliant. You know what I mean? There's,
2: Phenomenal. There's,
1: there's definitely a Tree Castles Born an episode in um, Rave Culture. Like you're talking yeah. about DJs, like Wetherell obviously left left us so soon and very sad. Uh, another DJ recently left us Al Keegan Who had
2: uh, What a hero Yeah yeah. yeah
1: I, I, he had a great He had a great input In in the, the culture of dance And the culture of nightclubs in, in Dublin That seems to be Kind of disappearing
2: That that venue in the, the, the liberties That he took uh, Just just on the road In Guinness I was in it many many times yeah, Where he ran his nights I mean it was a crumbling Old boozer That was You know On his last legs And he just kind of re- Reinvented it there Around what 10-12 years ago uh, the name of it will come to me in a while, but uh, MacGrooge's, wasn't it?
1: MacGrooge's, yeah, yeah, yeah it
2: was a, I, I, I was there many times. I don't remember anything of it, but I was there. It's <laughs> 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 always, always the sign of a, of, a, of, a, of a good night in the club when you don't remember too much of it. But uh, absolutely incredible. And the licensing laws in this country are so bad. I mean, there's a, there's definitely an episode in, in the Public Dance Halls Act that came in in the, in the 1930s and it really restricts the ability of, of venues. It was at a time when there was a big fear around jazz music. Uh, jazz was seen as dangerous. Fear. The, the 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 way men and women danced together, you know, it was sexualizing uh, young women. One bishop called it the marching song of the Bolsheviks, whatever that means. But they <laughs> oh my
1: God. They,
2: they had to control public space, so they brought in the, the Public Dance Halls Act, and it, it meant that every individual event in a venue a late venue needed its own unique license it's still actually on the books it, it still exists uh it shut down illegal assemblies like dancing at the crossroads you know that old irish rural traditional thing where if you live in the middle of nowhere you meet two miles in the middle of nowhere at the crossroads you have know, the big dance that was illegal so it, it limited i suppose the ability of people to um to to socialize freely and it still remains on the books today so nightclubs are, were meant to close at one at one a.m which is incredible no other city capital city in europe would do it and i'll uh, really pushed against that you know and th- there's another story in the asylum my club which was just off uh, o'connell street sackville place which used to go to 7 a.m or 9 a.m and to us that sounds weird but in any other european city that's totally normal, normal. you know yeah, yeah. it's uh, if you if you don't disgorge everyone onto the streets at the same time at half one and they're all going for the same taxis and the same nightlink and the same chippers and you get bloody mayhem and, like Westmoreland Street, generally speaking, at half three in the morning, looks like the Battle of the
1: Somme.
2: It's not a nice place to be. I think the clubs should should be able to stay open a, that bit longer. So it'd be nice to do a, a tribute piece to Al around that scene, definitely, absolutely.
1: Berlin's 24-7. Is it a weekend?
2: Um, yes, yeah, some of them go. I mean, some of the clubs in Berlin would open on, on like, Saturday night at maybe 11 or midnight, and they'll go through to Monday which is <laughs> <Just> crazy <laughs> but like that doesn't mean people stay for 48 hours because it's not Absolutely. humanly possible so people Absolutely. come and go at different times and there's a real logic in, in that But like the Hirschville Centre the, the disco in, in Temple Bar in the 1970s that was very much connected to the, 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 the LBGT movement all those stories are great because ultimately the story of uh, live music, whatever kind of live music it is, it's the story of youth culture you know, it's always young people that put on gigs go to gigs and you can tell the story of, of youth culture through these through these amazing places.
0: Don, you said something interesting there around the Scream Delica piece in terms of like, uh, it's 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 perfect from start to finish or whatever. And then that was triggered as well. And Mero, you've already probably been tagged on this because, you know, you're an attention seeker on Twitter and, and you're loving people tagging things. This whole little craze thing of uh, albums that you listen to start to finish. That was great, wasn't it? You, yeah. yeah, I was going to say I don't know if you have been tagging, but if not, I'll put you on the spot and just see if there's any that you'd call out in terms of those great, you know, start to finish pieces that you just listened to over and over again.
2: So I had to go with that myself. Uh, I took, it's very hard. It was. It's difficult. Yeah, I I took an album. There's a, a traditional music album called The Liffey Banks, by a, a guy called Tommy Potts, and the cover of it's incredible. If you've never seen it, it's uh, he's standing on the Ha'penny Bridge, playing a fiddle and there's no one else on the bridge. It's a really incredible image, but it's a great fiddle record, one of the best Irish traditional music records. And I find they often put it on in the background when I'm working. So mm. you listen to it start to finish. Albums that I love, like I love the uh, the Streets album, Original Part of Material. And yeah. I saw that was on loads of people's lists, but that album has a skit song on it. You know, that discussion mm. between about drugs between the young yeah, guy yeah. and the liberal guy and the, the conservative guy. And I always skip that track. And I find hip hop albums, lots of them have those stupid skit tracks Grey did it, Wu-Tang Clan did it as well. It's very hard to think of an album that you just, you put it on and you play it uninterrupted, straight through to, to finish. Mm-hmm. So generally, yeah, albums like Tom, Tommy Potts, um, Whippin' Boy I put up as well. Uh, they were a, a great band in the 90s. They're kind of like the Fontaines of the 90s. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, okay, someone yeah. put me on to Whippin' Boy. Uh, Heart no, Warm, I've heard
1: of Boy, but you, do you think they're the Fontaines?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. We don't need really? nobody else, that song. I mean, that album, Heart Warren, came out in 1995, and it was massive. They were considered the next big Irish band uh, and the reviews were kind, but it just didn't register with the public in any way. But when the Fontaine's album dropped a year ago this week, wasn't it? A year ago this week. Doug yeah, about so, yeah. So many of the gigs compared them and said, oh, you know, are they the new Whippin' Boy? Are they the new Whippin' Boy? And uh, that's a really, if you haven't listened to it, and it's called. It's just, it's a, every track on it is, is fantastic. And uh, it doesn't—it's it, fallen a little bit, I suppose, from consciousness. Uh, Morrissey, of course, Viva Hate, his first debut album, and then a weird one, uh, Eon, who are like a kind of indie electronic band. They had a great album, uh, which I put up too. But I mean, you could name fifty albums, couldn't you? Ah, you
1: could. Yeah. You know, like, you, now, now, now that you
2: mentioned
1: now you mentioned Dog Roll. Dog Roll, you could listen start to
2: finish. Dog was great, but I, I mean, think th- the only thing about dogrel is it's kind of a load of EPs stuck together, you know, because. A lot of those songs yeah. were, were out for a long time before that, and yeah. I remember they were, they were coming out over about two years or, or so. And uh, one thing I like about Dogra is also one thing a lot of people didn't like about Dog Will, uh that the songs are so different. You know, that, some yeah. of those, Liberty Bell um, sounds like a Ramones song. Uh, Dublin City Sky sounds like a Pogue song. There's yeah. so many different, totally different styles on that album, which I think is which I think is great. But did you listen argue,
1: to? could you listen sorry some people argue
2: some people argue that an album should bring you on it should have a sound the whole way through but I I think Mm. it's great how different those songs are big like big is like the fall or something it just hits you really fast and really hard and then you end on Dublin City Sky which is just so totally different so I'm looking forward to the second album because they've been playing bits and pieces of it and it sounds totally different again which which is good you know Oh, I picked
1: uh, like like you said it was just so hard I couldn't I didn't know what was going on like I was like oh it took me about six or seven hours to kind of just to to respond. Um, <laughs> I did uh Arctic Monkeys AM but oh, I yeah yeah well that's Arctic Monkeys a... first album I could probably listen to start to finish as well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um I picked Oasis be here now. Yeah um I picked be Gang here of now. now. Yeah
0: yeah I, 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 in terms of an Oasis one that's an interesting one.
1: Yeah, and the only reason why I picked it over the other ones and the earlier ones was because when that came out that summer, I just listened to it from start to finish all the time and, and went to their concerts for, the, for that album. And it just, I don't know, there's that, that song Lila is on it, and I just, it's a real good summer yeah. hit that I yeah. just love. And I just love Liam Gallagher. Um, Damien Dempsey Live in London, I picked because I just, I love, I love. Damien uh, live yeah. and it's far superior than the kind of studio albums but you're getting a compilation of all the albums in this live mm. studio and obviously Christy Moore on the road is just I wouldn't yeah. that, that'd be sad to finish all the time I was tempted Any of by Christy's uh, albums, I picked the four. Day yeah, yeah, sees right. the Day by Dempsey yeah. Yeah. perfect
2: doesn't yeah. it? You play it start to finish you know ah perfect yeah, Perfect. but it's it's so difficult. I'd love to see some people like him answer it. I'd love to see what David would pick if you asked him. Yeah. yeah,
0: that'd be a good show. Yeah, yeah. But
2: David probably pick Kneecap, would he? <laughs> but Nick have if you to give us an album, they've had a, a, an EP which was which was great. Tree cag, a couple of singles, but we're waiting on the album. I keep telling them to do a vinyl or you know do something that uh, people can invest in and they can yeah. finally make some fucking money. That's what they should do. <laughs> but they're good lads, aren't they? They're great lads. They were they were on tour in the in the United States when when COVID nineteen bit. So I, I felt so bad for them because that was such a, a big a big deal for them but i I met them by total chance up in a, a bar called Madden's in Belfast where one of the lads neam makaura was working as a as a barman and i I'd heard uh, two of their songs a mockccauk and Kiarta, which is their big hit you know C-E-A-R-T-A. Really? Kind or of I recognized them and I said you look like the lad from kneecap and he goes, Tommy, I'm lad from <laughs> the So yeah, I kind of hit it off with them, but I, I think they're really talented, and their their uh, their message is, is so positive, you know. And they make Irish uh, accessible, which is which is great. And I, I've noticed a, a lot more people trying to use the bit of Irish that they have now, which is my. I mean, I went to a, a fucking Gaelic school, and my Irish has gone to the dogs. If you don't use it, you lose it. It's just how it is. Yeah. So they're uh, they're having a really. I think they're having a really positive. Uh, some people say, oh, all they do is rap about fucking drugs or, or whatever but I mean that's they're young people and that's you, you know they rap about what they know and the lives they know and where they grew up and what they've seen but I think they're they're overall they're such an incredibly positive influence I think Danny what about yours
0: yeah I, I don't know because uh, like you said there's so many of them and I'd, I'd kind of probably cheat a little bit as well in terms of using a live album to kind of get me out of a hole but I was thinking about and like you were saying about the Oasis album and a transport you're back um Red Hot Chili Peppers, Californication. Ah,
1: yeah. Why didn't I pick that? It's like, great.
0: Yeah. You know what I mean? I couldn't believe that album came out in 1999. I don't know why I thought it was later. But when I was looking at this, the whole thing on Twitter, and I was like, fucking scar tissue, man. Every time I hear that song, I just go back. To, yeah. It's like my brain goes yeah. back in time, you know? Um, Bruce Springsteen, Darkness on the Edge of Towns. Fucking love that album, yeah. man. Yeah. From start to finish, it's just... <laughs> it's one of his best ones, you know what I mean? Um... You 2 Act One Baby, another one. Yeah. Just, yeah that when you're talking about kind yeah. of that's an album having a sound kind of thing, and that just Berlin culture influencing mm. it all the way through mm. and everything, you know. But uh, as you said, there's just so many of them that you could pick, you know, there's just so many.
2: Um, I was reminded of Alan Partridge. Remember that episode of Alan Partridge? What's your favorite Beatles album?
1: Best of the Beatles. <laughs> <Yeah, yeah, yeah. laughs> That'd
0: that be me. That's why I pick that's why I think, uh Dave Dempsey live and Yeah, that's but that but that's, like that's what I'd be tempted to say something like Jesus, like yeah, like Bruce Springsteen live in New York or fucking Neil Diamond hot August night or do you know what I mean? Something that you yeah. can kind of you're finding that little loophole to be like ah, it's a compilation. Yeah, it's an yeah, app, yeah, app, yeah. A, it's my but, uh, list. I'll
1: pick out what I want.
0: Yeah, that's it, man. That's it. But uh. I think, Meryl, were you going to ask something there? When Donan No, I was just going to bring it back to Three Castles Born. And,
1: and in terms of, like, I've loved every episode. Um, and as I said, I look forward to it now that it's weekly is brilliant. Um, one, one episode that really hit the heartstrings and really kind of, I don't know, it just took me back to Ireland pre-Celtic uh, Tiger in terms of, Ireland's modesty, the community spirit. And I think we've lost that a bit. Um, we might regain it again with the with the virus and the sense of community of sitting in your garden with your neighbours, you know, with the social distance and having a drink. But what the episode I'm referring to was the Willie Birmingham Sr. It just yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. like it just I there was this, there was a part in it where you interv- when you were interviewing his son where his son said he was kind of captivated that. Number one that you approached him for the interview, and number two, people were ref- were still talking about him in such high regard thirty years after his death, particularly about the naming of the bridge. Obviously, it didn't happen and went to Rosie Hackett, but still, thirty years on, something uh, as big as what he what
2: Willie yeah.
1: did, and people are still talking. It was just so heartwarming. But
2: one thing that's weird about that uh, that interview for me now, thinking back on it, is we did that. In the car park of Tatters Street Fire Station, about five, six weeks ago, right. And uh, at the time when I saw Young Willie, as, as I know him, uh, approaching, I was like, "Oh, how's this coronavirus thing going? Are you getting much of that?" And he's like, "Oh, you know, we're conscious of it." And so it feels that. Podcast episode feels like a lifetime ago to <laughs> I me. Mean, yeah, yeah, you wouldn't be yeah. you wouldn't be allowed standing in the in the in the car park of a fire station at the moment. Yeah, so, and yeah. I'm wearing like full PPE and I'm not talking to anyone. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's just a reminder how quickly things change. But uh, Willie's 30 years dead uh, this month. I think in the end of April. So I wanted to mark it in in some way. And I suppose unintended consequence of COVID-19 is that there was a massive interest in that particular yeah. episode because of that message of community and activism on, on that of lo, lo, uh, small local level. So, in a sense, uh, Willie Birmingham has become, on his 30th anniversary, very, very important. And I, I, I see Alone have a, a special helpline that they're operating at the moment during, during the crisis. Willie was from uh, Inchicore, went to school in Golden Bridge, worked a total series of odd jobs, became a firefighter and was horrified by the the poverty that he saw uh, on a nightly basis when they're out and about. Because one thing that's that's often forgotten is that the firemen, they operate an ambulance service in Dublin as well. So uh, you're confronted by the reality of poverty when you're you're working on an ambulance as a paramedic. And he decided that he was going to do something about it. So with his own money, uh, according to Willie Jr. tells the story brilliantly, he gave up cigarettes and drink, (laughs) which... (laughs) <laughs> it's a hard thing for anyone, for anyone like to, to do. To, to do that for the people. Yeah, and he, he put the money that he would have spent on, on Guinness, and would he like the Guinness, uh, onto printing these posters. And the message was brilliantly simple. It said, uh, old people die alone. And then it listed things that they die from, poverty, uh, depression. And the, the, the line was, a little offering never ends, alone. And he put these things up around the city. And when he went to the Catholic churches, there were some honourable exceptions. I mean, there, were, there are some, and there are still today some great priests in Dublin, but other priests said, you're not putting that up in my church. There's no poverty in my parish. I don't want to hear about it. And told them to get lost. So Willie would go around and put up these posters and say, look, this, I will try and help you in whatever way I can. And the groundswell was incredible. The, 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 the amount of, of people who got in touch with him very early on that offered, offered to help with basically no government funding, run out of his own living room. It became this, really really important charity and you know he ended up um building houses you know if you're ever down by that the, the royal uh the royal oak in you know the royal oak and fucking great pub. Uh, as you walk down to the royal oak you pass uh willie birmingham place you know alone yeah. literally built houses for people in dublin so it's an incredible story of what you can do with very little you can basically start with nothing and you can end up in a in a place where you've provided the ultimate thing for people, which is a roof over their heads. And I mean, he died young. I mean, he, he, he's 30 years gone alone was a decade or so up in operation, uh, but by the time of his passing. So who knows what he could have done. He started
1: that in his, in his house. He's literally in a sitting room.
2: Yeah. And uh, what year
1: was it that he started it?
2: He started it in the, I think it was 78, which was a very bad winter uh, in Dublin. And he he began it then. And uh, it just blew up, you know, in its own way. And, he wasn't afraid of bureaucracy or bureaucrats. He just do it and you know do it and ask for ask for um, ask for for what's the, what is it they say? For, for, forgiveness not permission. ask for forgiveness not permission. That's it. Right. Brilliant. And that, that's always the best way to approach life, and that's how he did. And uh, an incredible legacy. He wrote his own obituary because he knew he was on the way out. You know, um, Brendan Bean had a great line. Brendan said, there's, "There's no such thing as bad publicity except your own obituary." But if you if you get to write it yourself, if you get to write it yourself, it's okay. But uh, he has this great line in his, in his obituary, you know, like, like to eat plenty of red tape to teach the bureaucrats a little manners. And we should all remember that. They'll be, they'll be afraid of doing something because of the bureaucrats. Just, just do it. And did the bureaucrats like him? Um, no, because I think there's always people that are very well paid to do these things. You know, like one problem I think we have in Ireland is that there's, there's so many uh, enormous NGOs, non-government organisations, and there's, there's so many people paid Kind of enormous salaries to run those many of them. Some NGOs are fantastic and are just brilliantly run and have the right approach and do things in the correct way. But there's, there's, there's money in helping people now, do you know what I mean? And, and people I think are quite hostile to community activism for people that just do it. Whereas during this pandemic, what's been amazing to see even locally is how much of it is just people just doing it. They're not asking anyone, can I do this? They're just like, I am going to make a big bowl of soup and I'm going to feed the old people in the block, you know, who might not be able to feed themselves in a the minute, or I'm going to get the shopping for someone, until the people just do it. So, I think Willie embodies that spirit of activism, that, yeah, if something's wrong and if you can do something about it, just do it. <laughs> it's as yeah. simple as that. Yeah, definitely, definitely.
1: And um, is, is he, like, can, like, although we're talking about him 30 years on, um, the comment might sound a bit contradictory, but are they are the council and are the, the government should they be remembering more like is there a is there a a, a plaque for them anywhere or
2: um th- there was a plan to rename Street Fire station after him which I thought was great and for some reason of bureaucracy of what else it didn't happen uh, I think you're not allowed to name emergency service stations after people for for whatever reason but uh I mean the best monument to Willie really Birmingham is to just keep doing the work you know And I think the best monument to him is the houses. The the fact that the houses are still there and they're really good quality. Like he built, alone built, and alone never intended to build houses. It wasn't set up to be a housing organisation, but the the gaps that they built uh, will outlast. Like look at some of my friends and I'm sure some of your mates bought stuff during the Celtic Tiger like they bought apartments in town and they're crap. You know, you couldn't swing a, you couldn't swing a, a cat in them. You can you can hear the neighbours next door talking about what they're going to have for dinner and never mind arguing. Like they're just badly built, a lot of the units that went up in the last 20 years in Ireland. Whereas Willie built these incredible houses. So I think they are the best, the best monument to Willie is the fact the houses are still there. And we Very need good. to really be, the best thing you can do for someone like Willie Birmingham or Herbert Sims who built houses in the 30s uh, is keep building houses and name, them, name the houses after them. Yeah. Did, did he get to <laughs> enjo- Did he get to enjoy life as well, though? Um, I mean, he Willie died of of, of cancer, and he actually the video of him unveiling the houses in in Kilmainham. Uh, I quote. I took a couple of seconds from the audio in the podcast. He, he says something like, I, "I won't be around for much longer, but the work will go on." So, unfortunately, really, when when alone was gathering pace, uh, it was the end of his life. You know, I think if you're gonna if you're gonna set up something as big. As and as ambitious as alone, it does take a couple of years to to get off the ground. You know, it's uh, it's hard work, but it got there in the end. And alone are doing incredible work in this crisis. I mean, they they have a, a helpline for all people. They're doing a lot of important work with kind of delivering vital things to all people. And uh, the language around all people, I think, in this whole COVID nineteen thing, is really bad. So I mean, the the yeah. the way they're the way they're spoken of, I, I young people were saying, I I heard it. This isn't like. My friend's friend said to me, but I heard it in public places. Oh, it only affects the old. Like, what does that mean? Like, so, so it's yeah. grand. You know? <laughs>
0: or, yeah. or people uh, going yeah.
2: out saying, "Oh, it doesn't affect me. I'm 24, and I'm whatever." But you bring it home, and it can kill your granny. You know, like I think <laughs> that's,
1: that's that's people <laughs> that's, psycho, that's people yeah. psychologically saying to themselves. Uh, are making themselves feel better that oh yeah. I might get it. But the the the, the reality is that a twenty three year old died from it and a hundred and five year old died from it. So that's the that's the window of age you're talking about. So is any yeah. is any of Willie's family still involved
2: in Alone? Um no but they're involved in different things that are kind of part of his legacy. So um his one of his daughters works in St. Patrick's Cathedral and he had a, a great connection. Willie was Catholic with a small C, you know like like we all are. Um, hatches hatches <laughs> matches and the you know if someone's getting baptized buried and married I'll, I'll be there but um he, he kind of fell out with the Catholic Church and the Reverend the Protestant Reverend I, I named them in the in the podcast in uh, Patrick's Cathedral was really was it? Was it? No, this was long after Swift, but I uh, was really into William and what he was doing. <laughs> Swift was like the 70s and all this is all, I
1: was something, man. It was the late 70s,
2: Were you, yeah, into the 80s. But he would he would bury the homeless. He'd give them a full ceremony in Patrick's Cathedral. The choir, the whole works. They got everything, and they got the dignity of like a, a a final service, you know, which was amazing. So this um this this connection was built between William and Patrick's Cathedral and his funeral mass or service because because they, they don't do a mass over there. But his funeral service was in Patrick's Cathedral. So he built this great connection with the Protestant, the, the Church of Ireland. So um, one of, yeah, Kelly Birmingham works in there and Willie's a fireman, which again is another great way you can commemorate Willie is to keep doing the job that he did, which is such an important job uh, at, at the minute, especially. So they they still do a lot of the things that he did, which I think is, is, is really nice.
0: Brilliant. Um, one, one of the other episodes you covered, and just given we're recording this on a, on, on the eve of the great Jewish festival ending Passover. <laughs> Uh, you you covered kind of Dublin's Jewish sort of the, the whole connection. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's got an interest. It's it, there's a lot of interesting tidbits I found with that.
2: Yeah, well the most famous uh, Jew in Dublin never existed. You know, it's Leopold Bloom was like invent- yeah. invented by James Joyce and Ulysses, but like he never actually walked the earth. But there were lots of real Dublin Jews, and it's an amazing story. You know, they, they a small part of town, or what I consider a small part of town, Portobello. Uh, the South Circular Road, uh, Clambrassel Street, was like the epicentre of Jewish immigration into Ireland in the, in the late 19th century. There were, why do people emigrate? Why did Irish people emigrate? You're always running away from something, aren't you? And that's what it was with them. They were escaping pogroms in Eastern Europe and they they came here. And they just became a really embedded part of Dublin and every part of Dublin. Like Michael Nowak, Dublin Jew, was on the board of Shamrock Rovers. You know, every aspect of life in Dublin they, they were part of it and uh, they're so forgotten now like not far from where I am if you keep going up the road from Kimmich you come into Teren and there's a synagogue in Terranure.
1: Yor
2: mm. uh, this great building with like the Starry David in, in the windows but you'd miss it if you didn't know it was there and uh, I just it's amazing how Dublin has been shaped by all of these different kind of migrant groups through uh, through history so yeah it was, it was a good a good one to dig I found this amazing character um, Isaac Herzog he was known as the Sinn Féin Rabbi <laughs>
1: I wanted to bring that up.
2: What's the story there? <laughs> like, so The Jewish community that was here, mostly from the kind of Russian Empire, Yiddish speaking, they felt like they'd been driven out of their own land. You know, they felt like they were the victims of pogroms. And they identified with Ireland as a result of that. They became very sympathetic to, to Irish nationalism. So, I mean, that's always been true. And you get connections through history between Ireland and, and different nations because of that. Like Catalonia, for example, there's always this... Connection there too, so uh, I think they they just identified with the kind of Irish struggle for uh, for self determination and for a nation, and they they aligned themselves with us. But where did they go? You know, like how did you have this whole Jewish district of Dublin for so long, and and then it just disappears without a trace? I find that there's about a thousand. The population of Dublin today, there's about a thousand Jewish people uh, living in Dublin. There would have been multiples of that. So yeah, that's mad immigration. And if you walk the area where they live now. Uh, the shops don't say kosher anymore; they say halal. You know, and you've got four or five halal butchers and halal shops in that in that area. So, are not butchers, but halal shops. So it's it's still a migrant area. And all that's changed going back through history is who the migrants are. Mm. It's like even abroad; it's you got a Manchester, Liverpool, New York, Boston. They don't have Irish areas really anymore in the way that they did once upon a time. People have always been people have always
1: been moving. And so. He, he was just simply called the Sinn Féin rabbi because well, he, was, ra- a rabbi. Raided, he,
2: he right? was a rabbi he was a rabbi he was he was up in Belfast where you, you wouldn't be very clever to call yourself a Sinn Féin, a Sinn Féin rabbi <laughs> <About laughs> 1918 1919, <laughs> Belfast was pretty orange but uh, yeah when he when he came to Dublin uh, he just grew very close to De Valera in particular and uh, close to the movement more broadly but there were all these great characters like uh, the Briscoes they were a Jewish family he got very heavily involved in the Republican movement And, um, just a massive crossover, you know, massive crossover, which, and not, not a whole lot of anti-Semitism in Ireland at the time, which was, which was very noticeable as well. I mean, they felt like they were welcome here, that they were part of it. And if you go around that part of Dublin now, like you still have some things that give you a sense that it was Jewish. Like there's a bakery just up from where the Bernard Shaw used to be. There's a bakery called the Bretzel Bakery. You know, that was part of the Jewish community. It's still there. So there's still like little, little reminders of them if you look very closely around the area, but it's, uh. Yes, yeah, new waves of migrants in that area now.
0: Indeed, it is. Wow. Indeed, it is. Um, we're, we're, we've hit an hour already, lads, which uh, I
2: find hard. Flu boy. Yeah, uh, absolutely, flu boy. Which is time always flies why. when you're talking about hundred year old pandemics. This, <laughs> is it, lad. this is it. This is actually out of all
1: the episodes you've done, uh, what like what has been the most kind of fulfilling one, or uh, have you have you have you reached that yet?
2: Um, at the minute, it's really tough because you. the thing I like about about all podcasts are different. You know, the format that you lads have is great because it's conversational and you kind of feel like you're you kind of feel like you're in the pulp or something. You know, you listen to your podcast, you're hearing a conversation between multiple people and it's good crack. Uh, the thing about my podcast was that you heard the streets. So yeah. with Willie Birmingham, if you listen in the background, you can actually hear there's an engine that pulls out at one point and all that kind of stuff, the streetscape. And losing that, I was really hurt on one level. So uh, older people don't know what Zoom is or what Skype is, you know. So the, the voices that you really want to get, you can't get for the next while and you have to think on your think on your feet. So I'm really going to, once it's safe to go back outside again, I'll really hit the ground running and I'll, I'll try and get those older voices. I put one up today on a guy called John Gallagher. who came from the Coombe mm-hmm. and the Liberties. He was involved in the battle to save Wood Key. you know, the horrible... They, well, I actually like them. I just think they're horrible because of where they are. You know, the civic offices, the big council buildings of the yeah. He was he was in the campaign to stop them being built, and a uh, real character and the liberties. He was involved in every history thing going for decades of his life, and he just died. He was he was one of the victims of COVID-19. It was his funeral on the front of the Sindo a few weeks ago. Oh wow! Really shocking picture of a
0: yeah.
2: hearse outside the chapel in Mount Jerome and no one around it. And I was like, "Fuck!" I should interview John Gallagher, you know, but I didn't. So. Yeah. It's the older voices now that you really want to get when this is all over, and uh, we'll have to record people's recollections and memories of this stuff too, which is mad. <laughs> well, that you yeah. know Like someone should be interviewing the the shop assistants that were working on the day. That do you remember that Thursday when they declared the emergency? Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: Fucking, I've like, never seen anything like it. Looking outside the house, it was just a stream of people going to Super Value, and I went around for a look, probably more curious than anything, and it looked like mayhem. It was fucking, people everywhere oh, fighting for toilet papers
0: last like, days of the roman empire who's going
2: to record that stuff and those memories and the firefighters the nurses the paramedics, like all that will have to be recorded for posterity for the future Absolutely. so i hope there's some kind of oral history project that comes out of all of this which would be great but yeah for my endeavors like getting back onto the streets we can interview people and get the noise of dublin and the madness of dublin dublin's a fucking crazy place if you're trying to record someone on the streets of dublin you know, you got the yeah. two tablerones for a fiver over there and <laughs> you got the
1: you know,
2: Gimme This, give the me that over here. Uh, the some Spanish tourists getting robbed and you know, you did the the noise of Dublin City is, is great and I kinda I, I, I miss the madness of to town. I miss the Seagulls and I miss everything.
0: I can safely say <laughs> anybody who ever talks about rip off Dublin. Need to swiftly be referred to two Toblerones for a five. Have you ever <laughs> tried like, to buy a Toblerone in the shop? In, a, in an airport.
2: In an airport. In a, well, well, you're coming uh, yeah, you're coming uh, like, back from holidays, like fucking buy anything for anyone, you buy Toblerones yeah, for well,
0: forty quid. Like, <laughs>
2: I, 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 like I mean, other than street
0: sellers and airports, Toblerones aren't sold anywhere else. You know, they're on shelves. But they're about seven euro for one, so nobody <laughs> <Yeah>. buys them. <laughs> I mean, but in the airport, it's three for the tenor, <laughs> or two for the foot. you're
2: like.
0: Game, yeah, let's go!
2: but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's it's. That's going to be the great question: How do we capture all of this, and what do we keep? And you know, all those kind of. Mad things. You still have your Salafield pills, lads. Remember them? The oh, number? after Yeah. <laughs> the iodine <and> pills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Iodine. Uh, what's going to be the equivalent uh, from from this crisis? Who knows? But it's yeah. yeah. A pack, face a of, masks A packet of cold and fruit from Lidl. A bottle of hand
0: sanitizer and a twenty euro face mask. That's the wrong that's one. It. Yeah. That's, it. that's
1: I, it. I I bought I bought <laughs> I was I bought stuff online today, and because I spent over forty euro, I got free uh, five free face masks. <laughs>
0: Well, they'll, they'll do you a favour, pandemic or not, crime.
1: I know, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's a great there's a great time capsule piece in this, isn't there? Like, I know you're saying record of our posterity and I'm wanting to do that, but I mean, there'd be a wonderful kind of... Anyone with kids or something should definitely do a kind of time capsule piece around this. like Because 20, 25 years time, I know, yeah. you know, uh, people look oh, at yeah. this. Just like, yeah, we are, we're, we're living the history right now. This very, like... It's fucking crazy to think, you know.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, it, every aspect of your life, whatever you like—the GAA, the League of yeah. Ireland—the I mean, I, I think you can forget like Electric Picnic. You can kind of probably forget yeah. that far ahead into like August, September. Like every aspect of people's lives is is affected by it. So how do you tell that story going forward? Because that's that's for the next generation of historians to worry about. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, we, and we need as well, people need to be looking after their mind and their mental health as well.
2: That's a big part. That's a, an yeah. enormous part of the, the, the story, isn't it? Like, an, uh, Yeah, I mean, going out for a walk, being able to go for a walk is fantastic. And uh, I think when you're out, you really see it like I've never seen as many people on the streets. Like it's it looks like around here, it looks at like the Olympics, like it's just people jogging and running in all directions. People are getting out of their house, so they don't go <laughs> yeah. absolutely bananas. You know, but it's yeah, it's a struggle. What what have you been doing your downtime? Uh, I've been trying to get better at the bureaucracy of a podcast. So like, there's a lot of things I didn't really know, like how to um, you know fade audio in and out when you're playing a clip of music, all that kind of stuff that matters, and just trying to learn, trying to trying to read a bit for leisure. But uh, the enormity of off the whole thing I, I find it really overwhelming and if i think about it for too long i go for oh, jesus you know you, you find that as well like you,
0: yeah yeah
2: kind of some man. some days you forget about it and you kind of walk in yeah. the house I forget find, about it
0: i find yeah, it this absolutely. kind of like for want of a better term this kind of weird syndrome where in that kind of time bracket from about five o'clock to eight o'clock when you're waiting on the latest numbers to be announced Find this almost little pang of anxiety because you're like, yeah. you know, the numbers are coming, you know, it's not going to be good news, but you can't help yourselves, but keep checking Watch the phone
2: it. for that yeah. push notification to say, you know, it's like Tony Hula him to be there and yeah, you know, it's, him, you know it's, it's,
0: bad news, here. yeah, it's so weird, like it's just so weird. And then, and then, you know, you, you go from that to straight into all right, well, it's getting towards eight o'clock, nine o'clock. I suppose Trump to Mad Eiji, he'll be talking soon, won't he? Yeah, and it's this vicious cycle that when you try the New break York the Governor it. is
2: the first one every day isn't it like Andrew Cuomo yeah, come he, yeah. he comes on at about maybe 3pm You yeah, him. then you get someone down in the street then you get Tony Hill, and and then at the end of the day you get Trump and it's very easy to just be stuck in the cycle of watching that all the time you know oh, but uh, yeah go off and you try and read a book and or write something and, and then it dawns on you at your desk oh fuck is pandemic and it's, it's, <laughs> it dawns on you again but uh, on a level that's good you know because it is it is such a it is such a mad thing that like uh, it's not going away you know you have to be you have to be conscious of it but you can't let it dominate your life either no
0: absolutely yeah that saves advice, man you, you, you know t- take a break lads for, for your own sake and for everything else you know find a way to and that means putting the phone down the technology is great and it's brilliant for helping keeping you connected but unfortunately it's the uh, it's the tool of the devil as well. There's too, <laughs> there's too much in there for your own go kind of thing. Put it down. The whole just, um, the know, whole daily,
1: daily news updates, I think you might have to just uh, spread that out over maybe just checking in every three days if you can. But it is hard. Like
2: I've seen try, people... Try I've seen, one of the conferences, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah but I've, I have seen people online saying that they tried to give Twitter, say, a five-day break, but they were just enticed back given the times that we're living in, like... Mm. Yeah, mm. yeah. Oh, well, look,
0: this is it. This is it, man. this is it. Yeah, yeah. Look, in 20 years, lads, we'll have a podcast where we just talk about this again, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> in, in Grogan's, in Grogan's, over a nice, yeah. creamy point. I'm all for yeah. that. Yeah, Jesus, um, a toasted
1: sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Dole is strung out for Grogan's, aren't you? Oh, listen,
2: don't blame him. <laughs> well, I am. I, um, I, I have great respect for for the, I knew there were certain pubs in Dublin that were that were probably going to close mm. uh, early on, and I knew that would be one of them. And and I think Mulligans on Pilbeg Street as well. Any pub where you get the impression that the staff are valued,
1: yeah,
2: uh, I knew they were going to close because it, it just wasn't the situation where you could ask people to come to work anymore. I don't think. Yeah. And uh, I found that maybe a day or two before the pubs closed, I was in one, and you kind of felt guilty being in one you kind of knew that it wasn't the wise place to be sure, anymore, you know, and yeah. that people had to, as long as you were there, people had to work there. And, uh, yeah, so I was, I was really chuffed. I never thought it'd be chuffed Grogans was to close, but I was really, really chuffed when the news came in that they, that they had. And then all these pubs that I kind of respect, and good shops, as I would call them, in the following days, they all, one after the other, they all closed. So it was a good barometer of pubs in Dublin, wasn't it? And we yeah. shall not name, we shall not name the ones that didn't or the area where they didn't, but, uh,
1: that wasn't a surprise either, you know? No. This is, I, yeah, just, I just, just, um, sorry, no, no, I was, I
2: was changing the subject, you go for I'll, it. I, no, I was just going to
0: say, yeah, like, I, I'm kind of, I think we, we might have said it earlier, but just, you'd say the kind of people, just try and remember, like you were saying, Donald, those good shops that, they care about, that kind of staff, you know, try and remember those places, lads, when all this does eventually, uh, move along and, and we're all free to go out and enjoy a nice creamy pint or a nice James Jameson <laughs> and James as I'm fond of myself yeah, yeah I like be going to cans of those they're lovely they're, they're <laughs> beautiful yeah, yeah. yeah they're very nice they're lovely That's- just as a little kind of you know a little, little Saturday evening kind of like oh, I've had one or yeah. two I might just have a little
2: absolutely but,
0: um, yeah look rem- remember the places that were good to people lads and uh, we're all going to need to support each other including those businesses um, and our good friends if it's Patrick Castle as well
2: with, with yep. being great so, they do a great point I had a point out
0: there last time before we went on the podcast said, you know it? Yeah. yeah for a hotel they, they actually <laughs> do have a decent point you know there's a lot of hotels that are just but uh, yeah no, if it's probably it's a decent point Donald before I let you go
1: right Um Alan Kinsley, at election list listener of this podcast and your podcast he's running a poll at the minute right and it's into the semi-final stage on his Twitter at election list Semi-finals at a poll on which Irish historical character you'd love to see a movie or series on, right? So in group one, he has... Well, this is a a process of elimination. He did a couple of groups. So what we're left down to in the semi-final stage is Grace O'Malley in group one with Roger Casement, Edward Carson and James Connolly. And in group two, he has uh, Tom Crane, Countess Markovich, Dev and Wolf Tone. So he... Leading Ooh. the top two, so two go through in each group. So Grace O'Malley and Roger Casement are leading in one group, and Countess Markovich and Wolf Town are leaving in the other. What are your thoughts on which Irish historical character oh, you look, like to see in a movie or series uh, that, ha- that you haven't
2: already seen? First off, right, the, the Irish Election Literature Project is brilliant, absolutely brilliant. What a brilliant res- resource! And actually, it's really good for historians, but it's also really good for voters. Because yeah. you actually go back and see what these people promised four years ago, the last time they knocked on your door, and how much yeah. of it they did, they didn't do. But uh, no, his website's great, and I just love looking at the the old, stuff, especially the old like stuff with the Workers' Party, and you know going back into into history. Brilliant project, great great bloke as well. Uh, in terms of uh, historical character for a movie, uh, we're probably overdue a movie on a great woman from Irish history. Mm. A story I love. I think she'd make a, a great movie. Uh, Winifred Carney, who was James Connolly's secretary. She came from the north. Uh, she was a suffragette, so involved in the right for the campaign for the right of women to vote, uh, trade unionist. But she marched into the rising, the GPO on the first day, with her typewriter under her arm and a Webley revolver. And she became known as the, the typist with the Webley. But she stayed till the very end. She, When the women were sent home towards the end of the rising, she stayed. She was involved in the evacuation up to Moore Street, which was chaos. And uh, poor Connolly was on a stretcher at that point. I mean, it had, Pardon the French, but I mean, the Rising had really gone to shit by by the point where they were battling their way up Moore Street. She was still there. And then later on, she marries a guy called George McBride, who was an orangeman who'd fought, a member of the UVF, who'd fought in the First World War in a British Army uniform. So this woman who had been in the Rising at Connolly's side with her typewriter in the GPO ends up marrying this guy who'd been a British soldier in the First World War. George And those two lives, like they couldn't have been more different, you know, a revolutionary Republican socialist and some of them a very different tradition. But he became a socialist. I mean, they, they shared they shared a lot in common by the end. But I think that'd be a great story, you know, that it would work for T V. And they tried to get her a, a statue in Belfast City Hall and uh, unsurprisingly certain people objected to it and she never got the statue. But I think Winnie Carney was a great story. Markovich I love Markovich, but Markovic is well remembered enough, you know, she's got a Three statues in town I mean who the fuck Needs three statues I'd, I'd, I'd settle for one You mentioned Carson Edward Carson What a uh,
0: That's Yeah that's a sidewiner That's that's a curveball now And I'd be interested To see how Car- that goes oh,
2: man. Carson apparently uh, Spoke with a, a He was from Harcourt Street You know, Yeah Dublin, Dublin accent He never lost a Dublin accent And it was one of his cousins Who coined the term Sinn Féin so it's kind of weird and it, in its own way. But wow. he, he cross examined Oscar Wilde. I mean, Edward Carson destroyed Oscar Wilde, it's the reason that Oscar Wilde was brought down in the courts. Mm. So you have this great story of this Dublin Trinity College boy, you know, spoke Irish, regarded himself as a Dubliner. The Oscar Wilde story, the UVF, all of that, it's just amazing. Carson, make a great movie as well. Yeah. And like the statue, the, the statue up in Belfast, the Carson outside yeah. Stormont. He unveiled himself. He was still alive. I mean, that's like Kim Jong-il stuff, you know. <laughs> 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 a statue of yourself. So, I mean, the Carson is just... Uh, Roger Casement's a great story because yeah. it crosses different continents and it, it's in Africa and it's in so- South America. And uh, I saw pictures of a commemoration they had in 2016 outside the prison, Pentonville, where Casement was hanged. And it wasn't your normal like Irish Republican commemoration because if you look at the picture, like there's... All these second-generation Irish people who live in London, but like there's all these like black lads from you know from the countries that Casement was in, and there's these Southern American guys. And I mean, Casement's story touches on the movement against slavery. It touches on the rubber industry. Joseph Conrad, who wrote um, The Heart of Darkness, knew Casement. Uh, The homosexuality, all that stuff. I mean, it's all there. And uh, you'll have a great story in in casement. One nationalist, uh, Pierce Beasley, came out decades later and said, oh no, Roger Casement wasn't gay. No, he wasn't gay. Look at the beard he had. He wasn't gay. (laughs) (laughs) He's serious. Yeah. He had a very candid beard. Ah, yeah, he did. He was, he was, uh, he definitely was, but that's besides the point, you know, but I think, uh,
1: he's getting a statue out in Dun soon enough. It looks great. Have you seen the Instagram page?
2: Putting up pictures for development. Yeah, it looks fantastic absolutely so, fantastic Casement cool. yeah Casement is an international story you know I think that would be good I watched Michael Collins again recently and uh, mm. it's not bad you know it's not great yeah. but it's not bad it's not as bad as people
1: Paddy Cullivan was
2: giving it a good stick ah yeah sure <laughs> Paddy, <laughs> yeah. Paddy's working on a, Paddy has a stage show on the 1798 Rebellion yeah. uh, and he's got another stage show on, on the Rising and they're really really good he's writing a book at the minute about 1798 which will be which would, be, which would be very funny, uh, undoubtedly. He, well, was I recommend,
1: critical, actually, he was critical of uh, Harry Boland's uh, death scene. Pigeon. Yeah, where he he died in Scarries, but they had him dying in, in the in the Liffey or something.
2: Yeah, and poor Ned Broy. Ned Broy didn't die at all in real life, and he's yeah. shot in the film. So, like, you know, Hollywood sometimes claims more gory deaths than actually happened. But uh, it's pretty entertaining, you know. And I, my only criticism, well, historians... And historical movies have never got on, you know, because historians say, Oh, everything has to be totally accurate. The job of a film producer, Neil Jordan, would tell you, I didn't set out to make a film that was historically accurate. I set out to make a film that was entertaining. Yeah. And it's definitely entertaining, you know, definitely entertaining. But uh Carney Wolf Wolf Tone would be a great film, absolutely brilliant film. Does
1: they yeah. have any statues? I just can't think offhand. Who? Does De Valera have any statues on De Valera has one.
2: Yeah, I um it I, one anyway. I think it might be in Clare. He was elected for East Clare as, as a TD in 1917. But like De Valera what's De Valera's biggest mistake? He lives too long. You know, if you want to be if you want to be a, na- a national hero, It's the same in Cuba. If you ever like if you ever in Havana and you ask the kids what do you think about Che Guevara, They love Che Guevara but they're like Fidel Castro, you know, cuz they lived they lived he lived for so long. They they become the rulers, the government of the day, like De Valera, we, we call a big chunk of 20th century Ireland De Valera's Ireland. He was around for a long, long time. Whereas Collins is eternally young. You know, Collins will always be that 32-year-old in, in everyone's mind. People leave Valentine's Day cards on the grave of Michael Collins. You know, still. Amazing. Still. still, Crazy. More than I get. Yeah. <laughs> I get one. I get one.
1: <laughs>
2: Lads, I gotta, you're you're, you're only
1: saying that because she's there.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm on about two percent battery here, lads. So no <laughs> bother. We'll no, oh, have you, uh, you, you much longer. I, uh, I really thing. enjoyed that. I, I think the um, it's really weird. Like uh, people are trying to have gaff parties on on these apps, which I, I don't know if that's possible. But just for <laughs> for for just talking, they they've been great, haven't they? Skype and Zoom absolutely. and ah, yeah. they're fundamentally important to stay sane uh, at the moment. So absolutely, yeah.
1: we'd be lost without technology at the
2: moment. And podcasts Sweet sweet
1: podcasts yeah, <laughs> Absolutely From <indeed. laughs> the Tree Castle Burning podcast Thanks so much For your time tonight Donald
2: Thank you lads And best of luck With it going forward You, you too, too man See you Take soon Slon, August Slán Slon Slán
0: chat You know what the one problem With chatting to Donald Fallon on Instagram What's that You could fucking do it For hours And not I really I know could. yeah You know what I mean It was bright out When we started that very <laughs> <Like, laughs> true imagine being on the drink with Donald would be unreal oh man he's just and you know what it is like he's, he's he's a fucking sound he's just one of the nicest blokes going but his knowledge is just so he puts everything in such a universal way that regardless of your grasp of history or how much you care about history he makes it interesting because he relate. he makes it relatable and, I and, love
1: even, that. and when he's answering questions about history and dates doesn't think he just it's comes yeah. off the back of his tongue. It's like I'd love to have that. Yeah, he's brain
0: It's, he's, it's he's,
1: like it's like I'm always jealous of people uh, quoting The Simpsons for a
0: bottom. Mm, I could never Greg, do that. Great friend, great friend of mine, Greg Acton is it, when, when I say encyclopedic knowledge of Simpsons quotes. Uh, uh, do you know why people say there's a Trump tweet for everything? Yeah, Greg Acton has a Simpsons quote for everything, and he just pulls that. And I mean like. The, the most obscure thing in the world he can just reference a Simpsons quote that's, that's perfect for it and it's provided me with hours of comedy over the last number of years and I love when people can do that kind of thing what you were saying about Donald is exactly like that he just pulls these tidbits and you're like yeah that's just fucking unbelievable like, it is unbelievable Like,
1: Brilliant. where can you listen to that
0: episode Danny? to, to, to the episode we just recorded with Donald Fallon that's you it. can you can listen to it wherever you get podcasts, Graham, and that includes the likes of Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Podcast Addict, Podcast Republic, everywhere and anywhere you can get a podcast, you can hear it. Or you can check out WTSpod.com, should you feel inclined, and you'll find all of our previous episodes there.
1: People, people tell me they go back to the start all the time.
0: I really wish they wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> why because you've evolved have you Danny I think we have evolved Graham. Much, much like uh, a Pokemon I think we've we've gathered pace momentum and strength over the years yeah. you know yeah. Um, and, and I absolutely fucking cringe when I listen to the episode with Tony McGregor episode 2 particularly <laughs> <laughs> different places but no, I don't different... listen to it Different place, different time, ladies and gentlemen. Um, just,
1: just, just, just delete certain ones. Then <laughs>
0: I'm gonna have to, yeah, don't, yeah, but I'm not tidying up your cul-de-sac at all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I was definitely taking the piss about the uh, Swift. Were you? Course it was. I meant you? to mention it with Donald, but there's a show on Blaze TV, a new channel on Sky, called Irish Pickers and they go around uh, picking things and putting them up for auction or selling them on and all. Right,
0: okay, right. And
1: And uh, the presenter, Ian Dowling is his name, yeah. uh, he, he is they have an office based above Mulligan's Bar in town and they go around to old castles and auctions and they go picking things. Yeah. So he picked uh, the Dean Swift Bar sign, and I think it was about... The age, of, I think, it was from nineteen ten or something like that. So we bought it for two hundred, and he reckons he was selling it for eight hundred. But it's a really good show, and okay. that's uh, that's the proof that I know who well, Dean Swift was.
0: Where where did you say I agree out that you were talking about Jonathan Swift? Don't be trying to. Over that <laughs> over. Um, it's on.
1: Uh, it's on a channel called Blaze TV. Blaze TV, I've never heard of it. But... <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what it took over, but it's on Sky,
0: mm. um,
1: and it does all the. Storage hunters and
0: stuff oh, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although I might try to find out a little bit of that. I'm sure there's probably like clips of it on YouTube or something to give you a sample or a taste somewhere, you know?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. Another
0: show, actually, so, something not related to Ireland or, or, or any of that kind of stuff, but in a kind of historical context, if you will. The yeah. show that myself and yourself uh, have been quite enjoying is that Dark Side of, Res- Dark Side of the Ring. Fantastic show.
1: Yeah, what's the latest one today? Jimmy Snugger? I sent I it on
0: to you. I haven't watched it yet, but I, I will. I will watch it. It's, it's um,
1: brilliant. Former guests of the show were much like features in it. So yeah, uh, yeah, it's a it's a really it's a really good episode. And and the show that your are uh, the dark side of the ring, the first season, people should go back and watch on YouTube. And the most mm. recent, it just shows you the dark side of professional wrestling and the stories, and it's yeah. just we always find the backstage stuff more interesting than actually what goes on. So it's a, it's a great, um, great show. Yeah.
0: I know people are often quick to dismiss professional wrestling. Because they go, it's fake, man. It's fake. But lads, the stuff that goes on behind the curtain, you couldn't, yeah, exactly. like if, 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 if it was put in a film and you watch it, you'd be like, that couldn't happen in real life, but it fucking did. Absolutely. It's insane. Like it's, it's mad. It's a mad, mad scene. But anyway, look, thank you for listening. We've told you where you can listen to previous episodes of our beautiful and wonderful audio presentation of a podcast called WTS pod or what's the story podcast to give it its full and proper title and Graham, Gerald you. Patrick. Meriden. And don't
1: forget to listen to Jerry. <laughs> and don't forget to listen to three <laughs> castles, I was,
0: I was literally about to say, uh, before you just glossed over me using your full name there. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I'm getting giddy, man, because of Gary Michael. I was about to say where well, can you listen to Donald's podcast, but you've just told people. And you can check out at Fallon underscore Donald on Twitter to get more of his stuff. A Fallonist on Instagram. Anyway, until next time. is Pull out. Can't lose. Can't lose. Too sweet. Wash your hands. Stay at home. <laughs>